Um, that's a great song to kind of transition for us in. We've been in the book of Deuteronomy. We've been looking at the children of Israel in the plains of Moab as they've been anticipating crossing the Jordan River into the promised land, the land that God had promised to them. And we've been asking this question, how is it that they're going to live successfully in the land? This week and next, we're going to kind of look at this idea of, of blessing as it relates to this week, the, the next generation, the, 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 up, the emerging generation, if you will. Um, how is it we would bless our children? What, what, what could we do that would be particularly meaningful in that? And we've had a great, great time together already this morning, and being blessed by our children uh, or by our youth and that by our seniors as well, uh, who would be willing to memorize scripture and, and see that as valuable. I mean, I, I was blown away um, by what we were able to experience here. So grateful for that. Next week, we're going to look at how to, uh, how, kind of that, the older generation. How do we, we bless the younger generation this week, what about the older generation next week? In particular, what do we do with disappointment? You haven't lived very long in this world before you experience disappointment. Something, someone, um, how would Moses experienced a significant amount of that. How do we think about that? How are we supposed to uh, live as followers of Jesus in that? It's been said that Christianity is one generation away from extinction. Because God has no grandchildren. God has no grandchildren. Um, so as we think of passing on faith, as we think of securing faith for the next generation, Moses was concerned about it as he anticipated the children of Israel crossing the Jordan into this land of promise that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We think about it from our perspective. We think about it from the youth that we see, the, that we engage with. Maybe it's your own children. Maybe you're at the stage of life where you've got grandchildren coming along. And, and you're saying, what? And then specifically, what, I would ask it this way. What is the, the, the best blessing that we could leave for, uh, for another generation? There, there would be some who would say, well, um, I hope that I would leave the blessing of, of great memories. Uh, you know, great encounters with our family. Um, a great sense of connection to their roots. Um, that would be a good thing. Um, there might be some who would say, look, I would, I would long for my children that they would have great experiences, you know, that they would fast. Maybe it's travel, maybe it's those broadening kinds of experiences. Um, maybe it's training, you know. It would be, I want my child, I want my grandkids to know that whatever they put themselves to, they, they, can, they can do it. If they, so I'm going to train them in the arts or train them in, in sport. I'm going to invite them to experience life in, in broad and diverse ways. Now maybe, and this has been very true over the generations, maybe you would say, look, actually, as I think of the next generation, what I would most like to do is I would like to leave them a financial blessing. I'd like to leave them an inheritance. Uh, there have been families who have prioritized that. Um, very nice, very nice thing if you're on the receiving end of that, right? Um, uh, this Sunday and next, we're kind of looking at this idea, and, and, and as I've thought about this idea of Christianity being one generation away from extinction, I've wondered, well, maybe what that means is that what I could most give to the next generation, what I could most give to my kids would be this. It would be, it would be my faithfulness to God. W would that be a, a, a meaningful blessing to give to the next generation, a legacy of, of my faith? Uh, that they would look on and say, Dad, Grandpa was, he loved Jesus more than anything. Now, I would love for them to say that. There's a problem with it, though, um, and that is that it, it would not be true. Um, if they stand up at my funeral and they say, Terry Lee loved Jesus more than anything else in this world, at best, they would be bending the truth. Um, like, at best, they would be speaking of the 
aspiration of my life, the desire of my life. But you and I both know that it's not, it's not true. Um, there are moments when I have been faithless. Truth be told, it's been times when it's been more than a few moments. It's been an hour, it's been a day, it's been a week before God maybe used someone in the body of Christ to say, Terry, come on. You know, or, or God used someone in my own family to kind of call it up short and, and reality check so that I get my eyes back on Jesus again and back on this ambition to be faithful, to love him, to serve him. God, God's used his word. He's used scripture. He's used just the voice of his spirit to say in a moment, come on. So if that's not the best blessing that any of us can leave with our kids, what is? And we're going to turn to our text this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 31. I'm in the New International Version, and you'd be welcome to follow along with me. Um, it will be on the screen behind me. I'm starting at verse 1 um, of the NIV. It's a pretty long passage. I'll just leave you seated um, uh, to, to read this this morning. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old. And now I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you and, he will, and you will take possession of the land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you as the Lord said. And the Lord will do to them what he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the Levitical priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And then Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years in the year of canceling debts, during the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before them in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and children, and the foreigners residing in your towns, so they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this law. Their children who do not know this law must hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. The Lord said to Moses, Now the day of your death is near. Call Joshua and present yourself at the tent of meeting where I will commission him. So Moses and Joshua came and presented themselves at the tent of meeting. Then the Lord appeared at the tent in a pillar of fire, and the clouds stood over the entrance to the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, You are going to rest with your ancestors, and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. And in that day I will become angry with them and forsake them. I will hide my face from them, and they will be destroyed. Many disasters and calamities will come on them. And in that day they will ask, Have not these disasters come on us because our God is not with us? And I will certainly hide my face in that day because of their wickedness. 
in turning to other gods. Now write down this song and teach it to the Israelites and have them sing it so that it may be a witness for me against them. And when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey and the land I promised on oath to give to their ancestors, and when, you eat, when they eat their fill and thrive, they will turn to other gods and worship them, rejecting me and breaking my covenant. And when many disasters and calamities come on them, this song will testify against them because it will not be forgotten by their descendants. I know what they are disposed to do even before I bring them into the land I promised them on oath. So Moses wrote down this song that day and taught it to the Israelites. This is the word of the Lord. May he help us understand it. May we apply it, begin living by it um, this morning. So if my faithfulness is not the best blessing, the greatest blessing that I can leave the next generation, what is? Um, And I think we might best word it this way. Uh, The the greatest blessing that we can give our children is actually God himself. It's God himself. Maybe we could technically say it's it's, it's calling them to attend to God's faithfulness. we saw it in verse 3 where it said, the Lord, your God, the Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. And then he's giving them other things, other people, other, other tools that are going to help them. But it's the Lord himself who actually is going to be the greatest blessing, the greatest gift that, that the children of Israel would receive. Um, technically, of course, he is giving himself to them. And all I'm ever doing is pointing that next generation to the one who is utterly faithful. Now, here's the context to to what we've been reading here. Uh, Moses, of course, was greatly concerned that the children of Israel would would live in response to God's covenant faithfulness. He has been demonstrated to be utterly faithful to his children. And Moses himself is not going to enter the land. We're going to talk a little bit about that next Sunday. And even as they anticipated crossing the Jordan into the promised land, God himself knew that this was going to be a failed enterprise. That the people would cross and that they would not be able to to be responsive to him wholeheartedly. But Moses is concerned to bless the people and God is equipping them with all that they would need. And so he gives them three things as part of this exercise, as part of this preparation to the next generation. He blesses them with the book of the law. He blesses them with a courageous leader, and he blesses them with a song. A song, of all things. God, in his equipping of his people, um, has given us scripture. He's given us the book of the law, that we might know him. Um, We spoke of it earlier in our worship experience, that we might rightly understand who God is, and then soberly be able to recognize who I am. Um, God has given us scripture that we might know him. And the words of scripture are intended to guide us. They're intended to to direct our thinking, to shape our thinking. Uh, These words stand guard for us. It's the kind of language that, that Moses used. They stand guard and they bring a witness concerning who God is. So so that we would rightly recognize it. And they bring witness concerning the true nature of of humanity in our broken condition. And together, they just bring us back to a place where we would be able to rightly understand the world in which we live and then respond to the one who has made it. 
Moses gave these words. It's referring to the Ten Commandments. It's referring to this kind of long sermon that's in the book of Deuteronomy that we refer to as technically the book of the law. And it's going to be rolled up into a scroll. It's going to be placed by the Ark of the Covenant as a, as a witness against the people. This sort of the, the, the visualization that's going on there is that as we approach God, we're reminded of this text as we look at the Ark of the Covenant. As God would look at his people, he looks at them, at us through through the text. It's the symbolism that's, that's taking place there. And, and it acts as this witness to us as human beings, in part because we kind of have these ways of dealing with life, these ways of thinking about life. What, what, about God in particular, what, what are the common ways in which our uh, human beings, our friends, our family, you and me, have, respond to, um, to God himself? Um, pretty easy to recognize those who would just ignore God, right? They, they would, so atheism would say, there is no God, therefore I don't need to pay any attention to him. Um, uh, ag- agnosticism would say, well, we really can't know him anyway, so what's the point? Um, deism would say, you know, he was around once upon a time to kind of get things going, but then he's been an absent Landloader, loner, landlord hasn't been present at all since. So, so ignoring God is one of the means, one of the ways that, that we interact with this this idea that there is one who is creator. This one. Uh, here's another one, and that would be that would be to accommodate God. You know, so that's when I've done this. Maybe you've done this too, where we we kind of ask those those bare minimum questions. You know, what is What's kind of the bottom line? You know, how do I just, what are the loopholes that I can exploit that would kind of just let me get through this life without sort of getting on his wrong side? Um, you know, how can, I, can I, how can I accommodate God? The problem is that the God has been calling not, not for us to ignore him, not for us to accommodate him, but for us to obey him, for us to walk in a, with a wholehearted engagement with him. And, and we struggle to do so. Apostle Paul, um, kind of taking this through the cross and into the New Testament, he says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Paul's calling us to do our best to walk in light of Scripture, to, to attend to what God has revealed about himself and about, our, about us through the pages of Scripture, through the book of the law. He's given us scripture that we might know him. Uh, he has given us leaders that we might follow, that we might follow him. Uh, the, the point of, of those lead, charged to lead the church, charged to lead the first people of God, charged to lead the new people of God, is that we would point people to God. That is our role. Uh, Paul, in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, um, describes the church today and, and describes a plurality of leaders that God gives and equips the church with. He says, it was he, referring to Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. We refer to that as the five offices of the church. Uh, Leadership that God has given to the church that that the church would be built up uh, in him. The book of the law was, was given to the Levites. It was given to the elders of the people. And, and God, Moses, left this generation, a group of leaders who were charged to point, to point the people, to point the children to, to God himself. 
Uh, and, then, and then he gave a point person, kind of a, a point leader, this guy named Joshua. Joshua was one of the 12 who 40 years or more before this point in history had crossed into the promised land uh, and brought back. Joshua and Caleb were the two that brought back a good report on the land. They said, it's flowing with milk and honey. This is a rich and wealthy, prosperous land with great fruit and abundance. And yes, there are giants there. Yes, we felt like grasshoppers uh, in their eyes. Yes, they were in these huge fortified cities. But God... God has, everything is exactly as God said, so God must be in this, we need to go forward. And, and you probably know the story, um, how the other 10 said, no, 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 we can't do this. They spread fear among the people and they didn't go. go. And that journey that was supposed to have taken 11 days from Mount Sinai to the borders of the land took 40 years as they wandered in the desert. And that generation died off. However, God said Moses, Caleb, or sorry, God said Moses would survive to this point in time. He's 120 years old. He's not going to go into the land. We'll talk about that next week. Um, that Caleb and Joshua would go into the land because of their faithfulness to God. So here we are at, at this point in history. This is who this guy was. So he has, he has been Moses' right-hand man for at least 40 years uh, in this period of time. We think of you know, passing the baton to young Joshua. This guy was at least 60 years old, probably 80. Um, uh, he, it says that, that Joshua um, had served Moses from his youth. So we're not sure exactly what that means. How old was he by the time he went into the land? The, uh, jo- the book of Joshua tells us that Caleb was 40 years old when he went into the land. So Caleb was 80. Joshua maybe was 82. We just don't know. We're just kind of filling in the blanks. But, but this is kind of the legacy. And you look at that and you say, well, sure. Okay, so this guy's, the baton of leadership is being passed to this guy because he's earned it. Right? He's, he's earned his stripes. I actually wonder whether he was like, really, do I have to carry this responsibility? Like, I've seen how these people have responded to Moses. Like, I've seen the crap they've given him, how difficult they've been to, to be led. And it's been difficulty after difficulty. Such is the calling of leadership sometimes, right? It's, it's, it, often God will give us difficult assignments so we know we didn't do it in our own strength. And, and that's actually what's going on here. Like, he doesn't get this assignment because of uh, the years of experience that he had under, under Moses' leadership. Uh, he's not given this assignment because of his great administrative abilities at, at dotting I's, crossing T's, and kind of organizing the people. He's not given this responsibility uh, even because of, you know, he's handsome and the people will clearly follow him. None of those things are the criteria. He's given this responsibility And he's told that he will be successful in it because God is with him. That's it. God is with him. And he so 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 why would Moses, why would Joshua take on this responsibility? He says, be strong and courageous. Okay, go to the gym, get strong, muster up some courage, Mr. 60 to 80 year old leader. That's not what's going on here. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So so he is to be strong because the strong one is with him. He's to be courageous because the courageous one is beside him and will never leave him. God's got his back. And that is, that is what is, is qualified this guy to lead. That's what is giving him the opportunity, the, the, the courage, the ability. It's why he would get up in the morning. He would say, this is not in my strength. This is in the strength of the one who is with me and the one who is calling me forward. 
And something else that I'd like to make a point here. It's interesting that if you kind of pay attention to the details of what we just read, Joshua is not being called to replace Moses. That's not what's going on. He was to lead them, but God said the following to Moses. This is in verse 19. Now write down this song and teach it to the Israelites and have them sing it so that it may be a witness for me against them. Moses has had this prophetic role with the children of Israel, called by God to represent them, represent him to them. Moses has had this corrective role. Time and time and time again, he's been called and charged to speak correction to the people, to teach them, to, to deliver the law to them, uh, to bring about reformation when they, would, when they would mess up. But now God is actually giving them a song to fill this function. Joshua is to lead, the song is to witness against them, is to remind them of the God they serve and remind them of the human condition. If I read on, he says, When I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, a land I promised on oath to their ancestors, and when they eat their fill and thrive, they will turn to other gods and worship them, rejecting me and breaking my covenant. And when many disasters and calamities come on them, this song will testify against them because it will not not be forgotten by their descendants. Some, some of you know, I, um, kind of my first career out of college, I was a musician, and, and I wrote jingles for radio and television commercials. Um, and, and one of the reasons that we use music in advertising is it has a profound ability to, to hook in the memory of an individual. So I, I don't know if, um, if this was an Alberta thing or if this was just a Toronto thing, uh, nine, six, seven, 11, 11, phone, pizza, pizza. I mean, you still remember it, don't you? <laughs> Unbelievable how things like that can stick in our memories and, and create recall. And that's at least part of what's going on here is that this song, um, not exactly a song with the catchy theme and line that you and I are accustomed to, okay? Um, maybe, maybe more like a spoken word. I won't take the time this morning, but, but maybe a little more like spoken word if you think of sort of that hip-hop style of, of, of speaking out a song lyric. If you read through this next chapter on your own, maybe, maybe you'll hear that in your own. But God says, the song will testify against them because it will not be forgotten by their descendants. I know what they're disposed to do even before I bring them into the land. I mean, there's a statement of grace right there. God is working a plan. He's working a purpose. And though he is utterly familiar with the frailty of those through whom he is working, he continues to work his plan. Yea, God. So Moses wrote down this song that day and taught it to the Israelites. This song is actually going to stand in the place of Moses. It's going to, it's going to be God's voice calling the people back. It's going to be God's way of preaching to them. Um, in order to remind them of what they are supposed to be doing, are supposed to be. The text tells us that there are three witnesses who will testify against Israel and fill this kind of preaching function. There's the book of the law itself that is going to serve this purpose, set next to the Ark of the Covenant. Um, Moses is going to call the leaders together. We didn't read this part. He's going to call the leaders together, and he's going to call on heaven and earth to witness against them. Okay, so the book of the law is special revelation. That is God specifically revealing himself um, to the people. The, the, the heaven and earth piece, that's general revelation. That is, that is every time you look at a beautiful sunset, you're going to be reminded of the one who's created it. Or, or that's where it ought to take you. 
Uh, every time you look at the spectacle of the mountains and their majesty, it should, it should be reminding you, it's speaking to you to attend to the one who is ultimately majestic. When, you're, when you have that, that beautiful sort of summer vacation on a, on a still calm lake, remember the one who's made it. The interaction with the family member that you love, the people that you interact with constructively, all of these things, all of creation, the stars themselves, the heavens above, the earth below, they call us back to attend to the one who is utterly faithful. Special revelation, book of the law, general revelation, the heavens and the earth. And then the third witness is this song that God gives to Moses and he, and he delivers to the children of Israel. Moses has been pleading with this young generation as they stand um, ready to move into the promised land. He's been pleading with them to be faithful as God is faithful. Be, be faithful to the covenant-keeping God by being covenant-keeping people yourselves. And the song is going to do, it's going to do three things. It's going to remind them of where they've been because it tells some of their story. It's going to advise them concerning where they're going, the hope that is theirs. And then it's going to kind of come to this refrain or this chorus that, that gets repeated. And, and it's this declaration of the faithfulness of God, that he is faithful. And, and the song will do something like that. Now, as I said, it's kind of long and it's kind of difficult to find your way through it. And, and so um, I took a shot at it this week and um, attempted kind of a modernizing of this lyric um, for you in hopes that maybe you'd get a bit of the idea of, of what it is that, that Moses, is, what God is attempting to accomplish uh, here. So, so the, the, um, the, the chorus line for this comes, this is out of chapter 32, if you read it ahead. The, the chorus line for this um, comes from the second half of verse 3. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. That idea gets repeated a couple of times through there. And so we'll, we'll sing it like this. God, God is faithful. Would you sing that with me? God is faithful. God is faithful. I will proclaim the name of the Lord my God. God is faithful. He is the rock. All of his works are good. God is faithful. God is faithful. Twisted and broken, ungrateful we. Our generation Remembering not All that God had done He's our salvation Oh, but God Is faithful God is faithful desert place he took me in. God is faithful. He covered me and he took my sin. God 
sing over you as we dismiss you, but let me, uh, let me just leave a couple of kind of guiding thoughts or conclude, concluding ideas with you. As we think about blessing that next generation and sharing with them uh, the greatness that it is our God, the faithful one who ultimately and utterly and always stands with us, a couple of thoughts. Guide 
Guide the hearts of your children. Guide the hearts of those that you interface with. And this is what I mean. Guide, guide that which they would love first and foremost. Um, we live in a wealthy land. And some of us particularly manage wealth. Um, guide them how they think about those things. Invite them to coach their hearts to see those things as, as God's kindness to me. What, what a blessing we have. What a nation we live in. This is God's kind. When you go into a luxury hotel, what a kindness God has given. If you step onto a cruise ship someday, oh, what, how God has blessed us with incredible kindnesses. What, a, what, amazing, what amazing grace is ours. Uh, here, here's the second thing. Guide the heart. The second thought would be own what's yours to own. Own what's yours to own. Um, we talked about it earlier, uh, this, this acknowledging uh, of the, the true condition of my heart. And, and so what that means is that, that when, you, when you blow it, own it. Acknowledge. I, Dad spoke harshly. Please forgive me. That thing that I did was wrong. It was wrong. Please forgive me. And when, that's as much as God calls us to be able to do. Own our, own our sins, make amends where he can. But it also means that we need, we need to let our children own what's theirs as well. Okay, every one of us, your children included, will stand before a, a most holy God and we will each give account to him for what we have done with his grace. And we will coach, and, and I know some of you, your kids throw stuff in your face about what happened and what it, all you can do is own what's yours to own. And then they got to own theirs. They got to own theirs. And we pray for them. We, we live it out before them as honestly and as authentically as we can. Let me just add, those of you who have some kind of, kind of pastoral responsibility, I remind that that's true of us. If you're, if you're a, a life group, Facilitator, if you're a, a, a children's, a kid's zone worker and you, you, you teach or, or shepherd in some way, our youth, you're shepherding our youth, own your own stuff. And then we've got to let them own theirs. It's devastating when someone walks away from Jesus that you've been shepherding and coaching. Uh, all we can do is, is entrust them to the care of God and say, they've got to own what's theirs to own. I can't own that for them. I'm sinning, actually, when I start taking their stuff on me. Um, God gave the children of Israel. He gave them scripture. He gave them leaders. He gave them a song. Um, every week we gather, one of the most powerful things we do is sing. Because those lyrics begin to speak truth into our lives and begin to hook into our minds and into our hearts that which would call us back to what is right and true.